Romans chapter 15. In a verse we looked at last week, I want to look at again today. In Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament teaches us about the nature of God. Now people often construe in their mind from bad teaching or bad doctrine who God is and what He's like. And then what happens in their Christian walk, they get very bummed out, they get very disappointed, they get very upset in their hearts that it's not really panning out. It's not really working. You know, I, I know I've heard so-and-so teach this or teach that or have this idea, but it, it doesn't really work that way. And oh, how wrong they are. Everything God said is true. Everything God said He will do. But so often people take things out of context in the Bible. People often add to the Scriptures and say things that God's not saying. You see it way back in the book of Genesis when Satan comes to tempt Eve. Here, I mean, she's in paradise, but yet Satan can bum her out. I don't care where you're at in your pilgrimage. Things are going good or going bad. Satan can come and depress you wherever you're at. But what did he do with Eve? He got her thinking in a way... That was wrong. Did God really say, is this really the truth? Is this really going to pan out? Is this really going to be the way you think it's going to be? I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, what God said and what you're hearing, I, I'm not so sure if it's really accurate. There's room in here, Eve, you, you ought to start thinking through this and doubting this. Did God really say that you couldn't eat of this tree? And she jumps in and says, oh yeah, this tree, we can't even touch it, she says, lest we die. Now, God did not say that. God didn't say anything about touching the tree. That is something she completely construed that God had said. God had said, don't eat of that tree lest you die. But in no way had He said, you can't touch it. But this was again, in her thinking, in her mind, you see, and I think as Satan lured her towards the tree, that indeed she probably did brush it or touch it in some way, and then the conversation went on. Oh yeah, that is, you think so, huh? Well, obviously, he said you touch it, and you've touched it, and you didn't die, so... And then he could go on with the argument. But he never talked about touching it. But yet, in her mind, oh yeah, God said that. That's exactly what the Lord... God didn't say that. And so again, we've got to go back to Scriptures. And we need to look at all the Scripture. Man can't not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. People sometimes will grab onto one verse. And that's it. That's the only verse they're going to look at on the topic. I am the Lord God that healeth thee. That's it. That's all I want to know about healing. But there's a whole lot more in the Bible about healing. 
There's a lot in there about healing. And there's a lot of places where God didn't heal people. I am your God, your protector. Oh, that's all I want to know about. Well, there's a lot of people who also died. Trusted in the Lord, but yet they died. And that was God's will. That was God's way of taking them home. But yet what happens, you see, when they take one little piece of information they want, and they say, this is all that there's written on the subject. This is all there is to know. I'm the Lord God healed. And then people get sick, and they don't get healed, and they die. Then That's it. It doesn't work. Throw the Bible away. Get rid of Christianity. Hold it. That is not everything there is about the Bible about healing. The Bible teaches us that it's a glorious thing sometimes to, to be uh, not whole physically. Matter of fact, in Exodus 4, verse 11, God says, I am the God who made the blind, the withered, the halt. I made them. In, in, in boasting, he says, I made them that way on purpose. And we see throughout the Bible where people were physically different. And it was the Lord, and God used it to His glory. But yet there's these people who get these ideas in their head about God, about His church, about His leaders, about His people. And then they end up bummed out and disappointed. And it is never going to happen if you study the Scriptures. To show yourself approved, a workman unto God, rightly dividing the Scriptures, so you don't end up ashamed and disappointed and, and disheartened because of a lack of knowledge of God's Word. Remember Hosea, the people were destroyed because they lacked knowledge. This is why we have the Bible. This is why God's hung on to the Scriptures for us, from Genesis to Revelation, because you really need it all. You really need the book of Habakkuk. You really need the book of Amos. You really need those books, many that people haven't read. You're lacking. You're hurting. There's a weakness in your armor. There's a dullness to your sword. There's a work still God has to do. In some of those passages you haven't read, you have to study a little harder to, to glean from them. But it's all a part in God working in your character. That's why we have these scriptures, to see the whole work of God. So why? We have the patience. We have the endurance. We have the ability to make the entire race. To run the whole distance. So here you are in your pilgrimage. You've been walking with the Lord five years or ten years and you've been doing pretty well with what you know, where you're at. But let me tell you something, guys. If you haven't already experienced it, you will experience it where you take a step one day and all the, all the air runs out of the tires. You take a turn around a corner and you're bewildered and dumbfounded and, and wondering, well, what does this mean? How does this work into the picture? Where is God? <laughs> and it's all because there's some scriptures you didn't know about. There's that sermon you missed. There's that encouragement from a brother, but you weren't around in the fellowship to get that encouragement. Years, for years, I did lots of counseling. And it ended up that I noticed that 90% of the time, it was people who weren't there the Sunday before. I end up counseling them on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. And I began to discover that what I was telling them was what I had preached on the Sunday before. 
because it was exactly what they needed to hear. And so I finally had to make it a rule that if you hadn't made the services prior, then I won't counsel you because God's speaking through his word. You're not there hearing it and thus you're hurting and you're wounded and you're not strong as you need to be. And so how many times have you come to church and you heard the message going, whoa, it's as if Brian hung out with me all week. He knew exactly. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. Believe, I, 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 am, I am completely in the dark. I have no idea what's going on. I just know that God is faithful. His Spirit of God will speak. Where two or three are gathered together in His name. He is there in the midst of them, healing those wounds, putting salve on those uh, sores. God is doing it he, in the same way. Every morning, if you will add to your faith diligence, remember there in Peter, add to your faith diligence and to diligence, knowledge. If you will add to your faith that diligence, as Peter tells us in the word, in prayer, beat your body, get out of bed, get on your knees, cry out to God, spend some time in the word, whether it's one verses or ten chapters, that's besides the point, until the Holy Spirit has warmed your soul and given you that word. And now you're going to meditate on that scripture. Going to go and sharpen your brothers and sisters in the Lord with that scripture. And give that word to the weary in the day. You see, man, what a wonderful growth in the Lord it is. But he's given us these scriptures for the patient, for the comfort, you see, that we might have hope. Be careful if you think you stand. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, what unless you fall? We need the scriptures. We need the encouragement of Christians. We need to hear the preaching of the word. We really need that time with the Lord. And if we think we don't need it, you know what? We're going to be setting ourselves up for a horrible fall. There is enough growth in you that if you were to be in the Bible every day for 10,000 years, you, there's still more growth. So don't be like so many foolish fellows who say, well, I've read the Bible. I know what's there. Believe me, it's a living word of God. God has given you, on the first pass through, he, he gave you some meat to chew off that bone. But let me tell you, you haven't even gotten to the main course yet. When you've read the scriptures day in and day out, year after year, it doesn't even start getting good in, for a decade or so. And after a couple of decades, man, it's like you get born again again. I mean, the scriptures really start opening up and you really start going, wow, man, I, it's like I've never read the Bible ever. And you just keep soaking up the scriptures. Now, one thing they found out that people with Alzheimer's are people who have not memorized much. And so one cure for Alzheimer's people, or people who are starting getting old, they, they say memorize. And so people foolishly are memorizing the TV guide and, and, and stuff like this. I just, I just think it's all in there, man. Everything you need for life and godliness is in the Word. And if you've spent your life in the Word, it'll help you probably from getting Alzheimer's as well. So, and just an added, added blessing, you know what I mean? So, something you can think about as well. 
But I do know it's all in there. There's so many things that every facet of your life works out. That's why God's given us the scriptures to give us that endurance. So if you're lacking endurance, if you're lacking in comfort, if you're starting to come short in your hope, go back to the scriptures. That's why they've been given this that's why they've been given to us. In verse 5 again, and then what will you learn about? You'll learn about in the scriptures that God of patience, that God of comfort that he's given you the knowledge of him, you see. And so you're not disappointed. And so, if I'm ready to go out to dinner with my wife, and I said, yes, we're going to leave at 5 o'clock. And at 5.15, she's still getting ready. I, I understand. I knew that before I ever said, we're going to leave at 5 o'clock. I knew we weren't going to leave at 5 o'clock. <laughs> it's just one of the cute things about her. Now, there are times where I, I'm like, I really wanted to leave at 5 o'clock, and then I start getting a little perturbed. But I won't let her tell you all the things she gets perturbed at me about. <laughs> and again, with God, we can often start getting perturbed at the Lord because He's not doing it right now, in our timing, the way we want. We can often start feeling a lack like God doesn't really care. God's really not there. God's really not working on my behalf. God's not really working out this situation. Because, again, we don't understand the knowledge of Him. We don't know of His patience. We don't understand of His comfort. It, it, it blows my mind when I think of that passage of Scripture in Genesis 15, where there He lets Abraham know that the people of promise are going to have to leave the promised land for four generations, 400 years, why? So the sin of the Amorites is fulfilled. God says, you're my children, Abraham, I love you. I love all your kids. This land is your promised land, but I'm going to have to ask you guys to leave for 400 years so I can work with these pagans. That, that blows my mind. God is going to ask his own children to leave for 400 years so he can work at, with these pagans that he knows eventually he's going to kick out of the land because of their wickedness. Now, that's just not thinking that I'm used to. I, and, and as I contemplate that, as I meditate on it, as I think about that, it just opens up a whole facet to God that just, again, blows my mind. There Jesus telling us to love our enemies, to pray for them, to do good to them, to bless them. I never would have figured that out. I never would have come to agreement. Had somebody else come up and said, hey, Brian, had you ever just thought of loving that guy? That guy, you don't know how he's hurt me. You don't know how he's, he's damaged me. And, and you're, No, 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 God wouldn't want that. Had God not told us specifically in the Word, I never would have thought God would have thought that up. But yet I go to the Scriptures, and what do I do? I find this is Him. This is who He is. He wants us to do good. He wants us to love. He wants us to bless. Now, Jonah, as you remember, he had discovered in his relationship with God that God was a God of patience. God was long-suffering. God was a God not wanting any to perish. And he knew he was so loving. He knew he was so patient. He knew it would work against him if he went down to Nineveh. 
And so he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Remember, he took off to the opposite direction to go to Tarsus. And remember, the big fish swallowed Jonah up. And finally, he agreed, and there he went on to Nineveh. But after he preached there through Nineveh, in 40 days comes destruction, he was so angry at the Lord. He goes, I knew you, God. I knew that you would show loving kindness and tender mercies even to these wicked people, even though you were going to destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. I knew if they even acted like they would repent, you wouldn't do it. So, but think of it. Jonah knew. Jonah knew who God was. He knew what God would do. He knew how God would react. And he wasn't surprised when God did it. He was upset because he wanted to see these wicked people destroyed. But nevertheless, what took place is this. Okay, everybody watch. Valerie, sit down. Go ahead. No problem. Okay. Glad to see you here. Glad you didn't take any of those seats in the back back there. We got to sit by your husband. We're not embarrassed, are we? No, of course not. Okay. So Jonah knew. <laughs> Jonah knew who God was, what God was like, and how he would be. And he knew that God would show patience. He knew that God would show patience to these wicked Ninevites. Now, see, we need to understand God and know Him to that degree. We need to know what He's going to be like before we get to that situation. But what happens, you see, is God is preparing you. Right now, this message is not for last week. This message is for next week. And the day is coming. And so here you're listening going, okay, I'm sort of catching you, Brian. I, I understand what you're saying. and But yet, you're saying... Personally, this is applying, but not, not as much as it's going to be in the next few days. And so if you show up and going, man, that's what I just went through. God had already been speaking to you. You just weren't in the Word. You weren't, you weren't hearing God speaking to you in advance. And all I was going to do through the preaching of the Word was to kind of confirm that what you learned is right. You got it right. And so some of you here tonight, it's confirmation. Man, that's That's right. But for most of you, you see, God's preparing you ahead of time. You're getting ready to come around a corner in the road and you're going to be shocked unless you understand in advance who God is and the way He works. Many of you are going to be bewildered and scratching your head going, man, does this Christianity stuff even work? Because again, you had, an, you had a thought that God was, but you were wrong. You had an idea of how he would be, but you were wrong. You didn't understand his nature. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. So if you can see the way he was in the book of Genesis, and Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he is the same exact God today. And you can see the same things that how God worked with the children of Israel in the wilderness is exactly the way Jesus worked with his people during his three years of ministry in exactly the way he worked with his people through the book of Acts. Three times Paul shipwrecked. We learn about a fourth time in Acts 28. One time's a whole night and a day he's out hanging onto a board in the ocean. Now to many people who preach the health and wealth gospel, they'll tell you that just doesn't happen if you're right with God. If you're right where God wants you, your ship doesn't sink, man. 
And if it does, you start walking on water. But yet, I'm sorry. God does allow His children's ship to sink sometimes. And of course, if you know about Satan, you know whose ship he's trying to make sink. The guy who's spreading the gospel like the Apostle Paul, like the Jobs of the Old Testament. I'm sure that him and the Lord had a conversation over the Apostle Paul as he's heading off on his missionary journey. Well, I think you make his ship sink. I think he'll curse you, God. No, nope, not Paul. He knows me. He knows who I am. He knows what I'll allow. He knows about, boom, the ship sinks. And there's Paul treading water. And he's out there going, well, I wanted some private time with the Lord. This isn't exactly what I had in mind. He didn't, he didn't waver in his faith. He knew there was a devil. He knew what was up. He knew what was going down. And he knew that if God wanted him to drown, he'd drown and go to be with the Lord. He, but it, it didn't shipwreck his faith. He knew who God was. Job knew who God was. His wife said, curse God, man. Don't curse Him. Curse Him. Let Him finish you off. You know, no, no, I know who God is. I, I understand. He's a God of goodness, but He's also a God who allows trials. And, and though, you know, naked I came in this world, naked I got, you know, it's all ridiculous anyway. Wealth and whatever. I, I ate today. I'll eat tomorrow. God's not promised me any more than food and clothing. With these I should be content. Who says I've got to be a rich man for God's blessing to be upon me, Job says. No, I can be the poorest man in the world and God's blessing is still upon me. It doesn't matter. Naked I came in, naked I go out. Praise be God. He, he knows. He knows me. He knows what I need. I needed a time of wealth. I need a time of poverty. Paul said, I've been rich. I've been poor. In all things, I've learned to be content and I have learned. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you guys are poor, and you've learned to be poor. But God may take you a time to be rich, and as you get extra money, all of a sudden, you start walking away from God. And boy, that, that's tough. Lord, make me poor again. I, I could walk with you when I'm poor. But now that you're rich, you see, now you've got to learn how to live with God and money, which is tough. It's hard for a rich man to get to heaven. It's like a camel getting through an eye of a needle. Some of you have been rich. And you've learned to adapt. You've learned to live in that lifestyle. But now, you're poor. And you're going, man, where is God when you need Him? And you're starting to have a tough time in your faith. You're having a tough time trusting the Lord in poverty because those wants weren't wants to you. They were needs. And God's stripping things away to show you your own heart. Some of you have been healthy and now you're sick. Some have been sick and now you're healthy. Some people can live for God beautifully when they're sick. But then when they're healthy, now they have a hard time following God. And vice versa. And so I know who God is. I know that He allows all things. It rains upon the good and upon the evil. But I know God is there. And He's a very, very patient God. I think sometimes the Lord would work much quicker than He does, but He doesn't. And you see Joseph there as he's captured and thrown into prison. Or excuse me, thrown into slavery. And there he's a slave for years. And then remember Potiphar's wife said he raped her when he didn't. But yet 
surely God's in the judicial system. Surely I'll come up innocent. But he went to court and what happened? He was found guilty. The judicial system failed him. And he ends up an innocent man in prison as a rapist. And he's there for years. But yet the Bible teaches us that although this went on most of his life, probably many estimate around 30 years this went on, this hardship went on in his life, that he never lost hope in God. He never, ever, ever wavered in his faith. Now, being a slave, it would have been tough. But then being in prison as a rapist and knowing you're innocent, oh, unbearable. But yet, you never saw that in his attitude. He arose to the chief slave. Big deal. He used to be the son of his father. The most loved of his father's sons. But now he's the biggest slave. Big deal, you know. But then he gets thrown into prison. But what happens? He becomes the chief prisoner. We, we never see his attitude ever swaying towards the Lord. Because why? He knew God was a God of patience. And he knew God was a God of comfort. And his life was hidden in Christ Jesus. I have died, Paul says. I no longer live. So Paul was in prison. That's fine. Then I'll be an exemplary prisoner for the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul was. And so again, we, we can have these concepts going, no, 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 the guy who would write half of the New Testament, the Lord would release him from prison. That's what he did with Peter, you see. Peter was in prison, but the angel came and kicked him, and he was released from prison, and, and then he was able to continue on with his ministry. That's what God will do. Come on, guys, let's get together and pray for Paul's release. And year after year after year after year after year, eventually Paul was released. He was taken before this crazy guy, Nero, and he released him. Oh, thank you, Lord. It took years. But yet, as we learn later, God had given Paul a prophecy that he would preach not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles, not only Gentiles, but to kings and those in authority. And if you look at the book of Acts, why he was in prison, these guys came in and he would just preach to one king, one uh, Herod, one guy, run, right after the next, these, all these leaders and finally even up to Caesar himself. He pretty well covered the Roman Empire, those in leadership, as a prisoner which is phenomenal. God had his perfect timing. But then he was released from prison and he comes to the church of Ephesus and history tells us that Nero recalled him after a few months, took him back to Rome, and then he was beheaded. So he was released. Oh, God answered our prayers. And then God unanswered your prayers. And he ended up going back to Nero, tried again, which was illegal even according to the Roman law, and then he was beheaded. The Lord doth work in mysterious ways. It's not a Bible verse, but it probably ought to be. It's, you never know the mind of God. But yet, the Old Testament scriptures are given to us that we would not grow weary in well-doing, that we would have that persistence, we would have that comfort to know and to, have, and to be, as it says in verse 5, what? like-minded, how? Towards one another, how? According to, or just like Jesus Christ. You see, that's the common ground we come to. Just like Jesus Christ. Now, some of you here tonight are saying, well, 
I am what I am. This is the way I'm going to be. You're going to have to live with me the way I am. How many times I've seen people destroy their marriage by the guy saying, this is the way I am, Ethel, get used to it. <laughs> and she says, I can't get used to it. And we can say that in the body of Christ sometimes. Hey, that's it. That's all I can do. Make it a church. Can't do any more than that. Don't ask me to help out in Sunday school. Don't ask me to usher. This is all I can do. Don't ask me to read the Bible every day. That's all. I, I, I can't do any more than that. Come to church. Be glad I'm there. Period. And it's, you can get that attitude where it's just like, I'm not going to... No. All of us are being brought into the very nature of Jesus Christ. Period. That's where God is taking all of us. And we all need to allow the Lord, be willing to allow the Lord to bring us to that place. Who Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's where we want to come to, you see. Not just to be served, but to serve. We want to come to that place where we're meditating in God's Word day and night. Why? Because that's what the Lord tells us to do. To pray without ceasing. That, that's impossible. No, God will bring us to that place. That we're, till we are all exactly on the same page, with the same heart, with the same mind, with the same love, where we're one accord in Christ. Now, in particular, as we're talking about the church, he says, and we're going to do that through verse 13, and then verse 14 is going to start talking about the world again. But the church isn't going to be able to reach the world until we are together of the same heart, of, of the same mind, of the same desire towards one another. And so, in particular, he says, it should look like this in verse 6, that you may be of one mind and of one mouth, glorifying God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to give God glory? By bearing with one another, by enduring with one another, with bearing with the weaker brethren, by strengthening each other in Christ. You see, that's where we got to come to that place. Well, and tonight in verse 7, all for my introduction. Now, verse 7. Therefore, receive one another. How? Just as Christ has also received us, or as some translations, as you. Some variants to say us, some variants to say you. Either one works. Just as Christ has received us or received you to the glory of God. Now, how has God received you? God has received you with an unconditional love. Warts and all, He accepted you. Flaws and weaknesses and sins and shortcomings. What do we tell people when they come and they're an alcoholic or a drug addict or an immoral person and they say, well, I, I can't really see, receive the Lord. I need to go and clean up my act and then I'll come back. We say, no, that's not a faith. Come as you are. Come with all of the sin, with all of the filth, with all the weakness, with all the problems. Come as you are. Christ will receive you and we as the body of Christ should receive them just as Christ has received them. Just like Christ has received you. Maybe you're a brand new Christian and you're struggling and stumbling and sinning and falling and you're saying, man, I don't look as good as all these other Christians down at church. If they knew how bad I'm really doing, I don't think they would let me come back through those doors. 
Well, it's all a part of the process of you learning and growing. But believe me, we've all been there. We've all stumbled and struggled and every sin in the book, we've all been there. And some of us were there now and some of us will return to that place again. We'll think we have conquered one area of flesh in our life and it'll creep back up. And it's something that we're working with. But God is there with us. He's patient with us. He doesn't throw us away. He doesn't get rid of us. He keeps working with us. Gently, lovingly, patiently, kindly. The Lord is working with us. It blows my mind as you look as Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and all the laws and so forth, you know. And 50 days has passed and the Children of Israel says, well, I guess Moses has left us. You know, he took off, went to find his wife or whatever. He's gone. And they come to Aaron and they say to Aaron, hey, Aaron, make us a god so we can go back to Egypt. And Aaron says, well, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everybody's earrings and nose rings, and, which was a great sacrifice. And they, and they began to give them. And there he took his engraving tool, which tells us that Aaron probably back in Egypt, was a guy who made gods, the Egyptian gods. And he makes this most notorious Egyptian god a cow. And there he fashions this golden cow. And, and then he stands up and says, okay, it just so happens tomorrow is a feast to this god. And then they're all in this orgy, praising the gods of Egypt and wanting to go back to Egypt and and there you see the Lord working with Moses. Remember as Moses was God as unto the people and Aaron was as the prophet. And, and here the Lord says, oh, those people. And God says humorously, your people, Moses, whom you brought out of Egypt, they're down there sinning. Go, get out of here. And, and Moses heads down and, and there he sees them and he goes, I'm going to wipe them all out and start a brand new nation from you. And, and Moses jumps in and says, no, no, God, you can't do that. One is that, you know, you, you brought them this far. You, you've brought them out of Egypt. You know, you've brought them this far. You can take them farther. And, and, and besides that, the Egyptians all said you would do this. And you can't kill them. What's the Egyptians going to think if, if you brought them out of Egypt and killed them all in the wilderness? And, and besides, you promised the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, you promised them that you would take their children into the promised land. And God says, okay, I won't kill them then. That was all a type for us to see Jesus and how He is there before the wrath of the Father saying, hey, I'm there with them. We've brought them this far. We're going to take them the rest of the way. We've brought them out of Egypt. But how many times in our pilgrimage have we wanted to go back to Egypt? How many times have we said, oh, forget this Christianity stuff. I want to go back to the world. How many times have we struggled in sin and Jesus was right there saying, but the promises, the promises that you would never leave him or forsake, and the promise that he began to work in him would complete it. The promises, you're going to be there with him. And so Christ has received us, is receiving us, and that heart is just so beautiful in the Lord where he's not rejecting him. God is not rejecting you. God's arms are open wide. You stumble, you fall, He picks you up. You stumble, you fall, He picks you up. The righteous man falls seven times and he gets up seven times. God has received you. So we need to receive one another. 
Peter came. How many times shall we forgive our brother? Jesus said 70 times 7, Luke adds daily. How many times shall you forgive your brother in the church who's wronged you? 70 times 7 daily. How many times shall you put up with that annoying person in your home fellowship? Until the Lord comes back. <laughs> I remember uh, just at a wedding this last Saturday and a brother came up who's said, remember, Brian, I got saved in your home fellowship way back when the church first started? Yeah, yeah. Remember how I came a few times intoxicated? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Do you remember when I came with those drugs that, to get off the alcohol and I was just as dopey? Yep, yep. I remember. It was a long year. I remember. And I remember he would come up and he would usually come about a half an hour early. I'm like, oh. And the whole time during the home fellowship, he would he would just continually interrupt and he'd say, Jim, Jim, you know what? You've talked enough for tonight. We love you. Don't talk until the end of the Bible study. <laughs> over and over again. And now, beautiful brother in the Lord, working in alcohol and drug-related program and getting ready to start a brand new one down in Mexico and just Lord's radically using him. But I'll tell you what, man, I, if it wasn't for how God had worked with me, I never could have worked with that guy. I would have said, you're banned from going to home fellowship. You're just, you're just too annoying. We're going to give you a test at the door to see whether we'll let you come in or not. Stand on one foot and walk the line and but yet, in Christ, that's who we are. We're a hospital. And, and we receive such brothers. And we love them. And, and we bless them. We do good to them. Just as Christ is being patient with us, so we need to be patient with one another. And in verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. So, Jesus came for the Jews and to work with the Jews. Also in verse 9, oh, and to confirm the promises made to the fathers. But also in verse 9, and the Gentiles, that he might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall have hope. So he now comes back to leaving the issue of the weaker brother and he's coming back to the Jew-Gentile issue. And so the Jews, as they worshipped in a very Jewish way and the Gentiles worshipped in a very Gentile way. And how the Jews just had a hard time with that and the Gentiles had a hard time with them and there was this lack of joy in their worship because they were quenched out by one another. And he's saying no. You don't want to be quenched out by one another. And so today we have Baptist type of people in our church. We have Pentecostal type of people in our church. We have people who like to come to church Sunday morning in suit and ties. We have people that like to come to church on Sunday morning in short pants and tank tops and flip flops. And it's, it's all, are, all are great. Again, they're peripheral issues. We can worship the Lord. 
Well, some people want to sing hymns only. Some people hate the hymns. It's like, look, let's just worship God. Let's just set all of those peripherals aside. And you know what happens? Is you learn to enjoy the other person for whom they are. And let's make room for all those expressions. Let's give a time where people can come in their suits and ties. Let's, let's make it available also to people to come in short pants and tank tops. And, and you worship God with your suit and let Him worship with His tank top right next to you. Let's, let's let people worship in a Pentecostal way in the afterglow service. Let's let them be Pentecostal. That's the time, man. Go for it. But at the same time, let's not be so Pentecostal on Sunday morning that you're drawing attention to yourself and, and causing the Baptist brother to be distracted by you. Let, let's not say either or. Either this church becomes more Baptist or I'm out of here. Or this church becomes more Pentecostal or I'm out of here. Either you start singing more hymns on Sunday morning or less hymns on Sunday morning or I can't take it. No, we, we don't. This is so juvenile. This is so immature. How has Christ received us? He received us in every step of the way. He received us. He received us when we were stumbling and struggling and, and not where we ought to be and He's received us when we're where we ought to be. And the fact of the matter is is the Pentecostal brother is probably wrong and the Baptist brother is probably wrong. We just need to go back to the Scripture and see how the Lord wants to be worshipped. And let's just do it by the book. The Bible says, clap your hands. Well, let's clap our hands then. If the Bible doesn't say clap your hands, then let's quit clapping our hands. If the Bible says, lift your hands up into His name, then let's do it. If the Bible doesn't say that, then let's not do it. And this is exactly what the point Paul is making. He's quoting Scriptures. Notice he verse, in verse 9, he quotes the Scriptures out of the Psalms, which is called the Writings. Secondly, in verse 10, he quotes the Scriptures out of Deuteronomy, which is the Law. And then he quotes the Scriptures um, in verse 11, again, out of the Psalms. And, and then in verse 12, out of Isaiah, which is the prophets. So out of the law, the writings, and the prophets. There are three sections of the Old Testament. He says it's clear, it's a doctrinal point, that Gentiles are to come in. And notice number one in verse nine. We, they will receive the witness of God. It says the Gentiles will get saved. It says they'll receive. Secondly, it says that we can rejoice with the people of God. Thirdly, in verse 11, it says, then they will worship the Lord. And then number 4, in verse 12, it says, they will have hope and trust in Him. So the Jews say, well, I, I just wish those Gentiles would go get their own Gentile church. I don't like them being here. There's something wrong with you. You are not being biblical, but I'm not comfortable. Your comfortability is a religion, is a tradition that is not biblical. So you Jews need to quit being so Jewish because your uncomfortability is not scriptural. So you Baptists who are uncomfortable with the Pentecostal people here, it's, it's not right because the Bible does say clap your hands. Well, I just, I'm not raised that way and it just feels unreverent to me. It's, it's a religion. 
that's not based upon the Scripture. The Pentecostals are going, all right, man, I can stand up and, you know, hey, that's not biblical either. We're not to draw attention to ourselves. We're to draw attention unto God. And if you're the only one standing up, everybody's going to be looking at you standing up going, wonder what the guy standing up is going to do next. <laughs> and now they, now they can't focus upon the Lord. So now that's not biblical. You're drawing attention away from God. Let, let's just go back to the Bible. Whatever the issue is, we don't need to be at odds with one another. Because we both agree that we need to have the same mind, the same mouth, according to the Scriptures. So let's be the Brians. Let's go back to the Scriptures. Let's revisit the issue of the Word of God, of the church service, of prayer, of worship, of how a church should be ran. Let's go back and look at what the Bible says, and let's do it according to the Scriptures. And if it so happens we come apostles upon a tradition that's sacred to us, but we discover it's unbiblical, then we get rid of the tradition. No matter how much it may disquiet many of us and upset us because it's something we've always done. It doesn't matter. It's funny how we as people can get so stuck in a rut. You know, I went to teaching a book on Sunday mornings. I'm teaching in the book of Luke. Rather than taking a topical out of Sunday night... And people are going, but Brian, what's this mean? It means we learn the book of Luke. But, but Brian, we're not going through the Bible anymore. Yeah, we're still going through the Bible on Sunday nights. But, but why are we making this change? Something wrong? No. We're just, that's just what brings my heart joy to do that that way. And that's the way we do it here. Just be led by the Spirit. Are we going to grow in the Lord as much? Well, you know, for 11 of the 14 years, that's the way I did it. I taught a one book Sunday morning, a different book Sunday night, a different book on Wednesday night, which used to be Tuesday night. I used to have Tuesday night. When we went to Wednesday night, people are, oh, Wednesday night. Is, is, it, is people going to leave the church? Or, or are we going to still be close to God? I mean, is this... Why are we going to Tuesday night for? Because I, at that time, John Wang, I wanted him to teach. And I knew that there's a lot of people who were stuck on Tuesday nights who wouldn't go to Wednesday night. And I knew if John started something Wednesday night, that it would be all new people going to a new night and it would be hard to get a Bible study going. But I knew there would be enough people who would show up on Tuesday night, hear John teach, they would enjoy it, and then they would just keep going Tuesday nights. And then he would have, instead of starting off with one person and trying to build it over years, he would just have a good core group of people to start with. And so I was a servant and I went to Wednesday night. I don't particularly like preaching on Wednesday night. I like Tuesday night. I, why? Because I don't know. We did it so long. <laughs> I did it for years on Tuesday night. I, I enjoyed Tuesday night. But now I've been doing it for, you know, a couple years, three years now on, on Wednesday night. That, that's okay too. It's my heart that one day we would have a Bible study every single night of the week here at the church. That's my goal. That's my heart. I, I'd love to have that. We pretty much have, you know, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night now with the pastor's college and we have different things going in and out on that and Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, and now we have home fellowships on Thursdays and Friday nights, and I never want to see those stop either. So um, pretty much we do have something going every night of the week. But yet, you know, I just, let's just be open to the Spirit. It doesn't mean anything about it. It's just how God is leading. And so again, is it scriptural? 
According to this, he took it from the Psalms, from Deuteronomy, and from the prophets, the writings, and he backs it up with scriptures that the Gentiles were to be received, they were to rejoice, they were to worship, and they were to trust in God just as the Jews. Is the way you're living tonight biblical? That's the question. Go back to the scriptures. Now you say, well, how, how would I really know? Well, one way you can know is what is not working well in your life. What areas in your life do you think about it and you just go, oh, don't remind me. For some of you tonight, it might be your job. Oh, don't remind me. I've got to go there tomorrow morning. It shouldn't be that way. If you're bummed out about your workplace, God is speaking to you and you're not hearing it. He could be telling you that you're not working as unto the Lord. And there's a whole character, there's a whole issue he's trying to deal with you there. It could be that he's trying to tell you that you need to move on and walk by faith and get a different job. There could be a lot of things, God, but he's speaking to you. Go back to the scriptures, let him talk to you. Maybe some of you, it's your finances. Oh, don't, don't even talk about it. I get an ulcer every time I think, hey, it shouldn't be that way. Go back to the scriptures. Are you doing things the way you should in your finances, in your marriage, with your neighbors? The Bible is there. It's there for you. God wants you to have, as we didn't get to that verse 13 tonight, hope and joy and peace and believing. And we're going to look at that more next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, as you are raising us up, Lord, as children, that we would just have the joy to love one another. Whether they're in a suit and a tie or in a tank top and sandals, whether they're a Pentecostal or a Baptist or a Presbyterian type, whatever, it doesn't matter. They love you. And you've received them. Let us love them and receive them. Let us be of the same heart, of the same mind as you are towards us. Let us be that towards one another by your strength, by your grace, by your power. Lord, there's many here tonight that no doubt have that divisive spirit because they're immature in their thinking. They're not in the Word, so they're not being matured biblically. Lord, help us to come back to the Scriptures and do it according to the Word so there can be peace in the home, peace in the finances, peace at work, peace amongst the brethren. And Lord, let us truly be of the same mind and of the same mouth here at Calvary Chapel. And truly let us be servants of one another as you've called us to be servants. In Jesus' precious, precious, holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.
Romans chapter 15. And a verse we looked at last week, I want to look at again today. In Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament teaches us about the nature of God. Now people often construe in their mind from bad teaching or bad doctrine who God is and what He's like. And then what happens in their Christian walk, they get very bummed out. They get very disappointed. They get very upset in their hearts that it's not really panning out. It's not really working. You know, I, I know I've heard so-and-so teach this or teach that or have this idea, but it, it doesn't really work that way. And oh, how wrong they are. Everything God said is true. Everything God said He will do. But so often people take things out of context in the Bible. People often add to the Scriptures and say things that God's not saying. You see it way back in the book of Genesis when Satan comes to tempt Eve. Here, I mean, she's in paradise, but yet Satan can bum her out. I don't care where you're at in your pilgrimage. Things are going good or going bad. Satan can come and depress you wherever you're at. But what did he do with Eve? He got her thinking in a way... That was wrong. Did God really say, is this really the truth? Is this really going to pan out? Is this really going to be the way you think it's going to be? I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, what God said and what you're hearing, I, I'm not so sure if it's really accurate. There's room in here, Eve, you, you ought to start thinking through this and doubting this. Did God really say that you couldn't eat of this tree? And she jumps in and says, oh yeah, this tree, we can't even touch it, she says, lest we die. Now God did not say that. God didn't say anything about touching the tree. That is something she completely construed that God had said. God had said, don't eat of that tree lest you die. But in no way had He said, you can't touch it. But this was again, in her thinking, in her mind, you see, and I think as Satan lured her towards the tree, that indeed she probably did brush it or touch it in some way, and then the conversation went on. Oh yeah, did is you think so, huh? Well, obviously, he said you touch it, and you've touched it, and you didn't die, so... And then he could go on with the argument. But he never talked about touching it. But yet, in her mind, oh yeah, God said that. That's exactly what the Lord... God didn't say that. And so again, we've got to go back to Scriptures. And we need to look at all the Scripture. Man can't not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. People sometimes will grab onto one verse. And that's it. That's the only verse they're going to look at on the topic. I am the Lord God that healeth thee. That's it. That's all I want to know about healing. But there's a whole lot more in the Bible about healing. 
There's a lot in there about healing. And there's a lot of places where God didn't heal people. I am your God, your protector. Oh, that's all I want to know about. Well, there's a lot of people who also died. Trusted in the Lord, but yet they died. And that was God's will. That was God's way of taking them home. But yet what happens, you see, when they take one little piece of information they want, and they say, this is all that there's written on the subject. This is all there is to know. I'm the Lord God healed. And then people get sick, and they don't get healed, and they die. Then That's it. It doesn't work. Throw the Bible away. Get rid of Christianity. Hold it. That is not everything there is about the Bible about healing. The Bible teaches us that it's a glorious thing sometimes to, to be uh, not whole physically. Matter of fact, in Exodus 4, verse 11, God says, I am the God who made the blind, the withered, the halt. I made them. In, in, in boasting, he says, I made them that way on purpose. And we see throughout the Bible where people were physically different. And it was the Lord, and God used it to His glory. But yet there's these people who get these ideas in their head about God, about His church, about His leaders, about His people. And then they end up bummed out and disappointed. And it is never going to happen if you study the Scriptures. To show yourself approved, a workman unto God, rightly dividing the Scriptures, so you don't end up ashamed and disappointed and, and disheartened because of a lack of knowledge of God's Word. Remember Hosea, the people were destroyed because they lacked knowledge. This is why we have the Bible. This is why God's hung on to the Scriptures for us, from Genesis to Revelation, because you really need it all. You really need the book of Habakkuk. You really need the book of Amos. You really need those books, many that people haven't read. You're lacking. You're hurting. There's a weakness in your armor. There's a dullness to your sword. There's a work still God has to do. In some of those passages you haven't read, you have to study a little harder to, to glean from them. But it's all a part in God working in your character. That's why we have these scriptures, to see the whole work of God. So why? We have the patience. We have the endurance. We have the ability to make the entire race. To run the whole distance. So here you are in your pilgrimage. You've been walking with the Lord five years or ten years and you've been doing pretty well with what you know, where you're at. But let me tell you something, guys. If you haven't already experienced it, you will experience it where you take a step one day and all the, all the air runs out of the tires. You take a turn around a corner and you're bewildered and dumbfounded and, and wondering, well, what does this mean? How does this work into the picture? Where is God? <laughs> and it's all because there's some scriptures you didn't know about. There's that sermon you missed. There's that encouragement from a brother but you weren't around in the fellowship to get that encouragement years for years i did lots of counseling and it ended up that i noticed that 90 percent of the time it was people who weren't there the sunday before i end up counseling them on wednesday or thursday or friday or saturday and i began to discover that what i was telling them was what i had preached on the sunday before 
because it was exactly what they needed to hear. And so I finally had to make it a rule that if you hadn't made the services prior, then I won't counsel you because God's speaking through his word. You're not there hearing it and thus you're hurting and you're wounded and you're not strong as you need to be. And so how many times have you come to church and you heard the message going, whoa, it's as if Brian hung out with me all week. He knew exactly. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. Believe, I, 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 am, I am completely in the dark. I have no idea what's going on. I just know that God is faithful. His Spirit of God will speak. Where two or three are gathered together in His name. He is there in the midst of them, healing those wounds, putting salve on those uh, sores. God is doing it he, in the same way. Every morning, if you will add to your faith diligence, remember there in Peter, add to your faith diligence and to diligence, knowledge. If you will add to your faith that diligence, as Peter tells us in the word, in prayer, beat your body, get out of bed, get on your knees, cry out to God, spend some time in the word, whether it's one verses or ten chapters, that's besides the point, until the Holy Spirit has warmed your soul and given you that word. And now you're going to meditate on that scripture. You're going to go and sharpen your brothers and sisters in the Lord with that scripture. And give that word to the weary in the day. You see, man, what a wonderful growth in the Lord it is. But he's given us these scriptures for the patient, for the comfort, you see, that we might have hope. Be careful if you think you stand. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, what unless you fall? We need the scriptures. We need the encouragement of Christians. We need to hear the preaching of the word. We really need that time with the Lord. And if we think we don't need it, you know what? We're going to be setting ourselves up for a 